Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. You want to come in from the foyer, come sit down. We have lots and lots of seats. <laughs> A lot of seats. So I'm going to stall some more so our guitarist gets ready. <laughs> All right. Why don't you stand with us and we'll start our morning with some singing. Wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my trouble sea. Oh, you are the peace in my trouble sea. truth will hold your great love will lead me through you are the peace in my trouble see oh you are the peace in my trouble see my announcements.
Good morning. Welcome to Liberty Lake Church. The announcements are so long this morning, I asked Shane to cut his sermon way down to about 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Don. I am a volunteer here at Liberty Lake Church. And uh, I just have to tell you, I'm not afraid of people. So if you want to volunteer here at our church, you corner me. I'll find a place for you to volunteer. And uh, I'll introduce you to Bill and to Alan, and uh, you'll be busy probably before you go home today. So it's good stuff. Romans 8.28, fantastic passage. This is, this is a good announcement. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's written to an exclusive group. That's not for everybody. That's for those who love God and fulfill his will and purpose. It's good stuff. I got chills running up my spine right now. It's, uh, it's a really, really good thing. Fantastic thing. Communication cards. Communicate with the elders. It's, uh, it's a good way to let them know, and you can mark it confidential um, if, if it's personal, and they will pray for you, and uh, that's that. But if you just want to say, I'm thankful in all things, and God is a good God, then they might tell somebody else. So, family prayers next Tuesday, August 24th at 530 and I dropped my card somewhere. <laughs> when I get done with this one, I'll give you a break. You can go use the restroom and get a cup of coffee. <laughs> Bill cornered me a little bit earlier, and he said, oh, and don't forget to say, I go, I probably will. I'm an old guy. <laughs> so, anyway, ladies ice cream social. You should have gotten a handout as you come in. Okay, and you're welcome to join in, and it's got some information on there for you. And, uh, of course, it says bring your favorite topping and bring a friend. There you go. Broccoli ice cream? Okay. Broccoli ice cream. That'll be your sermon next week. <laughs> Who puts vegetables in ice cream? <laughs> Ladies evening Bible study. It's coming up. All they're asking, uh, my bride, Cindy and Sally Freeze, are um, teaming up and they're going to do it. It's on Proverbs. It's going to be a hoot but they're asking that you sign up in the foyer so that they know you're coming just to have a handle on what's going on. August 31st, 6.30 p.m. Back to Romans 8.28, I just had a thought. You know, you're familiar with Shakespeare. In Hamlet... Trying to think. 
It's Act 3, Scene 4, when Shakespeare said, Hoisted by your own petard. That's caught in your own trap. Oh, Kai wants to <laughs> expound on that. <laughs> Basically, you get caught in your own trap. A petard, back in the early days, the French invented landmines, and they'd bury them under the ground. And so when you stepped on it in battle, it would blow you up. And so Shakespeare was trying to write that. But if you, if you look at 8, 828, Romans 8.28, how God cares for his family, and then you look at being hoisted by your own petard, you'll end up blowing yourself up or get snared in your own trap. Just a side note real quick. I always like when you're reading Scripture and you see the word flesh, just sometime when you when you got spare time on your hand, not during the sermon today, but when you got a little spare time, write down flesh and then circle the H, and what's left is F-L-E-S, and just flip it around so that without him, it's about ourselves. And... Being a male, <laughs> I like those simple things. But Romans 8, 28. Okay, we've got some VBS stuff. Oh, Bill wanted me to thank everybody that helped with taking the chairs out, bringing them back in, uh, tidying up after VBS, some of that type of thing. Uh, on behalf of Bill, thank you very much. Now we got some VBS stuff. This is going to be a blast. Well, you want to all stand with us. We won't make you do any hand motions. <laughs> but you are welcome to dance around if you like. That's fine. All creatures of a garden king, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, Thou burning sun with golden beam, Thou silver 
to the altar, and that you are a wonderful Savior. Name, amen. You can all take a seat. Kids are dismissed to your classes. You can follow your teachers through the maze to your classes.
Good morning. You guys nervous too? Feels like I haven't been up here for a while. I uh, I enjoy it when in the scripture uh, you're reading about other people, and uh, and you realize that uh, you're you're behaving somewhat similarly to the situation that's in the text, and then you realize, wait, I'm reading in the Old Testament. How is it that I'm behaving like that? Uh, and, and I think you'll see the connection hopefully this morning, but uh, we're in Jeremiah 21 and 22. We're following up. We're actually going back and catching back up with where Alan left us with the broken uh, pottery jar and the broken flask and the consequences that are coming, and we're continuing in that process. We'll actually uh, be in Jeremiah chapter one, 21. So open your Bibles, because a couple of the verses that I'm going to use, you're not going to see up on the screen. You'll actually have to be in your Bible. And you say to yourself, well, why would, I, why would Shane do that? Just imagine a pastor that would not give you Scripture on the screen. You'd actually have to open your Bible for it. I know, it's horrible. Uh, that's what happens when you hang out with youth. I want to share with you real briefly, just an encouraging moment, um, I want you to know I was really blessed by you this morning. Um, as I was singing up here this morning, one of the things that is a real challenge for me, uh, I'm kind of a worship guy, and so I get to go up and play music for uh, camp, for summer camp. In our high school summer camp this year, um, we out sang the sound system on our, on our Thursday night worship set. They drowned out the whole band, and they had the sound system cranked up all the way and there's just something spectacular about being in a room with people that are singing and that are extolling the Lord and that are doing it with, with joy and with, with a jubilant energy. And we got to do that with our VBS. In fact, you guys saw on the video, um, even, even the wrinkled people were be getting involved. And we were more expressive and we did more than what we ever do on a Sunday morning and during worship. And as I was preparing this morning and I was, I was thinking through what I wanted to share with you about um, our youth camp, I was just praying that God would take the morning like I normally do, uh, and I was wrestling through that. And as I sat this morning, as you sang, um, there was a point at which I realized I was singing like as loud as I could, and I could still hear you singing, and it just blessed my heart this morning. So I want to thank you for that. I, I don't know if, if we always realize how... Uh, how much we care for one another and what the value of our body life is together. Um, but that was a real blessing for me today. And so um, I just wanted to encourage you in that and, and let you know that that was just an awesome, awesome moment for me. So thank you for singing. It, was, it really means a lot to me. Um, and now thank you for reading, because that means a lot to me as well, as you are in your Bible. So it, the, our story, where we're at today in Jeremiah, uh, King Zedekiah, remembers King Zedekiah? You guys know King Zedekiah. He's the third king. He's, fought, he's the grandson of Josiah, who Josiah was a good king. He was the one that actually turned Israel back around, was doing some great stuff. And then his son, uh, I'm going to make sure I get it right because I, I, I keep I get Jeroboam. Anyway, I don't want to say it wrong. So what I did earlier this week is I jumped back in to the beginning of the Bible. Jehoiakim, that's right. It's, the, it's one of the joys, Jehoiakim. So we have Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, and here we are with Zedekiah, and he's actually watching the, am I getting that right too? Make sure I get that right. It is Zedekiah, right? Yeah. Papa John's just sent me an ad. 
That's distracting. <laughs> King Zedekiah is in such a bad way in the nation of Jerusalem. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is at the gate, and they can, he can see that things are not going well. Things are, they're, they're in a tough spot. And so King Zedekiah sends his high priest, uh, which is a pasher, which is not the pasher of chapter 20. That's the pasher, the priest, the son of Immer. This is pasher, the son of Malachi. A different guy, but Zedekiah sends him to Jeremiah and says, hey, would you pray? About this, have you guys ever done that in your life? You're 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 focused on doing stuff. You're busy in life, and then you realize, oh, I should pray about this. You guys ever done that? I had this really amazing time in prayer this morning as I'm preparing for this, and I realized that my week has been a little chaotic. Um, some of you are hanging out with me at VBS. Uh, we had an intern thing that we we're doing this, so that took up Saturdays, and we just, life was just crazy this week, different meetings, different things that were going on, and I, I came this morning, and I went, Lord, I'm not ready for this. That was this morning, and so I'm in my office, and I'm reading through the text, and I'm, and I'm you know, putting my heart to the Lord, saying, God, I need you to show up, and, and I'm looking at Zedekiah doing the same thing, and he's, with, and he's pleading with, with uh He's asking Jeremiah, go to the Lord and ask him and, and, and ask for help. Find out what we're supposed to do. And, and they don't like what Jeremiah has been saying. The, 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 the king and the people don't like what God's been telling them at this point in time, but he still sends him because he's desperate. Um, and I realized as we finish up this morning, I, I, I joyfully realized something in my prayer this morning. that The question we're asking today is, do you know him? Do you know the Lord? We're going to see a picture of what it means to know him because it's actually presented here in the text in Jeremiah 21 and 22. We actually see this build. We're going to focus our attention uh, in Jeremiah 22 at, at the uh, Lord's word to king, the King David, to the throne of David, to, to Zedekiah himself. But the picture is painted. In this terrible, terrible time, uh, we're gonna. One of the main passages we'll see today is Jeremiah 20, uh, 22, verse eleven. And I believe it's verse eleven through fourteen. So, if you would turn in your Bibles and follow along with me there, I'm sorry, it's twenty-one. You are correct. There it is. Message to the house of David, verse uh, chapter twenty-one, verse eleven. And to the house of the king of Judah, say, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of David. Thus says the Lord, Execute justice in the morning, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Lest my wrath go forth like fire, and burn with none to quench it, because of your evil deeds. We'll follow up a little bit more with that. But Jeremiah is in a desperate spot, and in there, in his response to Zedekiah, God goes and says, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to go tell the king, and he says, execute justice in the morning. Well, how bad was it? Jer look at 21, verse 2, Jeremiah 21, verse 2. It won't be on the screen. This is in your Bible. Zedekiah sends the priest, and he says this, inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us, perhaps... The Lord will deal with us according to all of his wonderful deeds and will, not, and will make him withdraw from us. 
Do you see what he's asking? Zedekiah is going to Jeremiah and saying, hey, would you plead with the Lord? Perhaps he will remember all the wonderful things that he did and all of his amazing works, and he'll cause Nebuchadnezzar to leave us alone. Isn't that convenient? What's been the plea of the prophets to the people of Israel over and over and over again? What does God call them to do? Remember me. Remember how I took you out of Egypt. Remember how I rescued you from your captivity. Remember what I did. Remember who I am. He's always calling them back to their relationship with the Lord. And yet, and what does King Zedekiah say? Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all of his wonderful deeds. And will make him withdraw from us. Zedekiah is hoping that God will do what he's done in the past for other kings at his request. And we're going to look at their response, the Lord's response to this. In Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 8, the Lord says this. Again, you'll have to be in your Bible. And to this people you, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. The Lord gave him an answer. He actually said, This is how it's going to go. Here's a way of life and there's a way of death. The problem is the way of life that he gave him wasn't the way that they wanted to go. Because it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, an exact answer to God's plan or to Zedekiah's request. Zedekiah's request was God do wonderful deeds and remove Nebuchadnezzar. But God's plan, God's way of life was, hey, you guys, surrender to Nebuchadnezzar. It'll be good for you. It's my plan. He's my guy. I'm bringing him in to do some stuff. I want you to go with him. What? We don't ever experience things in our lives like that, do we? Where, where what we're praying for the Lord, we're like, God, this is my plan, and you just need to bless this plan because I've really thought about it well. I've even asked my wife. She agrees with me. This is a good plan. And when we're one, you should be one, right? Have we ever entered into a relationship with God where we're in that spot? We see what's going on. We're like, okay, Lord, this is the solution. You got to fix it this way. And, and his solution's a little bit different. I realized this morning, well, let me finish with Josiah, and then I'll, then, I'll conf, then I'll start confessing. It was really an amazing time. It's been a phenomenal uh, study for me, actually. Um, God's answer continues in Jeremiah 21, verse 11, which we just read, right? And to the house of the king of Judah, this one will probably be on the screen, so I want to encourage you to stay in your Bible. Because there's going to be a couple of spots that if you are okay with highlighting your Bible, and by the way, if you're using your phone, you can highlight it without putting marks on your screen. But if you're, I think there's spots in here that I've highlighted in my text because it's, to me, it just really jumped out and it grabbed my attention as I was going through the process. But in Jeremiah 22, or excuse me, 21 verse 11, uh, let's continue. We're going to read past verse 12 this time. And to the house of the king of Judah say, Hear the words of the Lord, O house of David, thus says the Lord. Execute justice in the morning, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Behold, I am against you, O inhabitant 
of the valley, O rock of the plain, declares the Lord. You who say, who shall come down against us or who shall enter our habitation? I will punish you according to the fruit of your deeds, declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in her forest and it shall devour all that is around her. God's response to the nation of Israel, to the king of Israel, to Zedekiah is, destruction is coming, my wrath is coming, because although I've offered to you the way of life and the way of death, your heart, you have continually chosen to resist me. In fact, their arrogance was so great that although King Nebuchadnezzar was threatening them, although they were going through this process, and remember, they've been trying to kill Jeremiah the whole time. Even his own family's trying to kill Jeremiah because of the, the problems that he's causing in the community. Now, let's just be honest. If we had somebody in our church saying, you know, hey, let's just, I don't know, what's a crazy radical thing that we would be, here, don't come into the sanctuary because the, the floor is going to cave in, the ceiling, the, it's not very good, and you'll all fall through. I actually thought that. I'm like, you know, we're sitting on the ceiling of the basement. Maybe that's why we don't dance in this church. I don't, anyway. But imagine if somebody was coming in and they were actually like, God said, I've actually had the engineers come in and look at this, you guys. It's not safe to be in here. It's going to be dangerous. Don't go into the sanctuary. We put up red, or they put up red tape. And, and I'm like, what are you doing? We've been in here for 52 years. We're fine. Everybody comes in here. We're all good. And we just take down the tape. and We keep coming in and doing our stuff, even though there's somebody. Would we get tired of that person? Especially if for most of our lives, the, the floor still worked. Right? Now, anybody in here freaking out about the floor right now? Because, see, that's my personality, and I realized as I was say, sharing that story, I probably shouldn't have used that illustration. <laughs> but the reality is, is that you can only imagine how difficult it would be for the people of Israel who are watching what's going on in their life. And up to this point... I mean, just two generations ago, Josiah was, was doing great stuff. The kingdom was thriving again. They were in a great spot. God's blessing was on them. And now Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and wipe them out? God's always shown up. He's always rescued us from our foolishness, from our faithlessness. And at this time, the Lord says, it's not going to happen. Starting in Jeremiah 22, he continues. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak these, or there, this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become desolate. For this says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah. You are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon. Yet surely I will make you a desert, an uninhabitable, uh, uninhabited city. I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons, and they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. 
the thing I, I love about the text, and, and I love how the Old Testament does this. When we're reading this text, you see the wrath of God, but you see him offering them a, a solution. There's an option to this, right? And, and what does he offer them? What is he encouraging them to do? He's encouraging them to return to his value, to, the, to God's system of government, to God's system of worship, and God's system of caring for people. And I, I love this part of the text. Um, because in this setting, right, we see that we see God being uh, challenging the people to return to justice, to to right behavior, but it reflects in how they treat one another. Do you see that? In God's kingdom, how we treat one another is a big part of how God views His expresses His character. Isn't that amazing that the church never has conflict, and we treat one another so well? The world's running around going, why can't we be more like them? And yet that was the very picture that he's painting for the nation of Israel. Do these things, behave this way, treat people this way with justice and rightness. And don't do evil, don't treat them poorly, but care for those who can't care for themselves. It's an amazing picture. And then graciously, God says, and by the way, there's an example for you to follow. He actually, he actually turns them back to the, uh, Zedekiah's grandfather, Jehoiakim's father, Josiah. And he says this in Jeremiah 22, starting in verse 15. He says, do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged and the cause, uh, excuse me, he judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well with him. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? But you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood and for practicing oppression and violence. God exposes the difference between Josiah's heart, his desire to follow him, his care for people, and the greedy wickedness of Zedekiah's heart. Clearly, Zedekiah was pretty successful. As the king, he had access to a lot of cedar, it looks like. And so he had, he had some kind of physical success, some kind of financial success in this, and that was part of the issue of pride for him. And at this moment, in their discomfort with Nebuchadnezzar at the gate, he's asking Jeremiah, would you go and ask the Lord to, to solve this? Would you fix it? And I love that in the midst of this, the, the verse, the, the, the passage that I underlined is, is not this to know me? Out of verse 16, chapter 22, the second half of verse 16, the Lord says, is this not what it means to know me? That you would... Behave in a way that follows my pattern, that you, or that follows my character, that you would, would reflect who I am, that in my relationship with you, you would actually be more like me. My son paid me a great compliment, I hope, um, yesterday, but we were, I was playing with my grandson, and my son came up, and, and he goes, you know, Dad, one of the, well, he said weird, so maybe, maybe he was still dealing with the reality of this, but he goes, what I noticed is that I'm actually doing a lot of the goofy stuff you did with me and the boys with my son. Like some of the same goofy kid stuff that, you know, that I would do with them. He's like, 
I'm doing that. Who trained him? But that's a reflection of being in relationship, right? That's the reflection of being in a, in a father-son relationship, in a relationship where someone is coming up and watching you and, and engaged in those things and learning from you. There's a little spike in my heart at that moment that I thought, man, I, I wish I would have focused more on teaching you things about the Lord. Isn't that funny how you have those moments where you, you're watching your kids grow up and, and, and they're, they're doing things and you're seeing good stuff, but then, then you just realize you're like, ah, I, I, I wish I would have spent more time there. I wish I would have done more in this particular area. And yet we have the very picture of the nation of Israel who has a father God who's directing them and and, and engaging them in these things, and they're still rejecting that. This is where I began to wrestle with my own heart to say, Lord, do I know you? Do I know you like this? Does my relationship with you reflect a knowledge of God that, that translates into how I live and how I treat other people? Does it show up in, in the daily life? And so what caused me to, it, it, it got me thinking about, well, where else does the Lord talk about these things to, to love justice and, and to engage in behavior that reflects the glory of God? And um, one of the passages that jumped into my head was James chapter 1, when we talk about knowing the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, follow along with me. It says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You see that? The, the same principles that we actually see in in Jeremiah, the Lord's saying, hey, take care of those who are falsely accused. Take care of the widows and the, those who are, who are being afflicted or who are in need. You should be caring for those. That's what reflects the very nature of who I am as God. And, and we know that because God actually extends that relationship to, to Israel when they were captive, when they were under captivity with Egypt. He invites them into relationship out of captivity, and that's, that's the position that he restores them, that he brings them into relationship from, similar to us. And yet we can't miss that if what, what James is saying is that if, if we claim to be religious, if we think that we have religion, but we don't bridle our tongue. Now, we, we don't have time to go through the whole study of the tongue that, that James does, but that's a great just question for us to wrestle with today. If we think that we're honoring God, if we think that we know him, then bridling our tongue, what we say, the way in which we react to people would be a great spot to start to ask the question, do I really know him? Does my relationship with God change how I'm responding and how I'm caring for others? You guys, you know, one of the great struggles I have is, um, man, I don't know if I want to share this with you guys. I struggle with people who are asking for money on the side of the road. 
I just do. I'm always I'm I'm wrestling in my head. Uh, part of the part of the problem is is I've I have I've interacted with them. I've I've seen I've because I don't just give people money. Normally I try and get their story so I can tell them about Jesus. But it it's it's I think it's an okay thing to have that as your goal. Um, but my problem is is that I've interacted with a number of them and um, one one particular individual that I I watched the process that he actually left his stuff, picked up all of his stuff, and went in and got into a nicer car than what I was driving at the time. And I thought, well, I, that's still not a career for me, um, even though I love cars. Uh, but so I'm, I'm a, I really have a hard time with that. I, I find myself jaded in those moments. I get frustrated when I pull up to the to the to a fast food restaurant to get my food. Don't bother me with whether or not I want to donate three cents to the children. I don't do. I honestly say no. And you know why I say no to those? Because I want to donate stuff that I know where I know where it's going. Because donating to me is important. But my my point is, where is our heart at caring for those who are in need? Yeah, I care for people in need. And then in my heart, I'm cursing some guy to go driving down the road and how he's behaving on the, on the road. I mean, normally my bride's in the car, and I just do it in my heart. As many of you do, right? Thank you. That's awesome. I love you guys so much. I'm going to drive by you this week. Um, I'm convinced that all I need is a couple hours and I can cause everybody to stumble. <laughs> not, that's not a goal. That, the point is, is that our heart, it's hard for us to stay focused on the things that are important to God. It's hard for us to keep that, that view because we have human issues. We have sin that is battling in our hearts even though we claim to be believers. That's why this passage in James is so powerful for me. Do I claim to be a follower of Christ? Do I claim to be a, a, a gospel disciple of Jesus? And yet, what comes out of my mouth? Oftentimes reflects a much, much darker reality in my heart because I promise you I don't let everything that happens in my heart out of my mouth. I've, I'm more than three. I figured out that doesn't go well. There was a point in time where my mom thanked me for being so honest as a child. And I'm like, ah, I'm not sure if that was positive or negative. I got in a lot more trouble than my brother. Because I would say what I was thinking. Mom, that's a dumb idea. I think that's a dumb rule. That really goes over well with your parents. Kids don't do that. You wanna, your parents really do love you. That's why they're, they make those rules. I thought to myself, you know, is this, is this something that's really important, this caring for those who are in need? Is it, is it really a big deal? And so I kind of I thought, man, I'm going to look through Scripture and see where else we talk about this issue. And I was really thrilled because if you turn to Job, turn to Job chapter 31. you got to see this. It's incredible. This is the very heart of God in how we treat people, how we care for people. Job chapter 31, starting in verse 16, Job says this, If I have withheld anything the poor desired, or have caused the eye of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the fatherless have not eaten of it, 
For from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me, and if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gates, then let my shoulder blade fall from, its, from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was in terror of calamity from God, and I could not have faced his majesty. Job, in his defense of his own, this is his first appeal, but it's in the defense of his righteousness, he says, before God, I would never allow this kind of treatment to happen to those around me, the poor, the hungry, the widow, the needy. I would never have allowed that to happen because of my reverence for God, my relationship with God. Because of who God is, it, in, it compels me to care for these people. To the point of, he says, if, if this is untrue, God, let my f- shoulder fall out of socket and my bones be broken. Just so we all know, that's a serious injury. That is not a sliver. That is a major deal. And he's saying before God, if that's true, then you do that to me. Because I have stood up for these people. I have represented God well for in those who needed to be cared for. He cared for the afflicted. The pure religion is a religion that changes our life. And I don't even like using religion. How many of you guys like religion? We struggle with religion. You can, you can raise your hand. You're not on video. I'm on video. I don't like religion. I don't like religion. I think so often we engage in religious activities and it can deceive us. It can actually distract us from our relationship with the Lord. And we're good at religion. You guys, we could run, we could run a really effective church service. We, we, some of you would have to leave. Let me explain. Not, not because of your character or anything like that. But to do it really effective, we'd have to hone it down to where everybody kind of liked a few things really significantly so we'd have to get the right music we'd have to get the right length of service we'd have to get the right schedule of service we'd have to make sure the pastor never preached out of jeremiah we'd have to we'd have to polish up all of these things so that just a few of us could be really really happy and we'd go find other friends that would be really really happy in that setting that's religion and we can do it well and we've done it well in this culture We've made a very productive, very, very uh, great uh, uh, financially uh, productive industry out of religion. So did the Jews, because it's easy to do. But pure religion, this faith that transforms lives, that changes how we speak, that changes how we care for the needy, that changes how we live. Uh, Did you catch what James says? We're also unstained by the world. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 18. John says this, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, and in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John's plea with the believers is, if you're a child of God, then don't go practice sin. Don't be doing that. But know the true God, because truth, the truth about who God really is and a relationship with him changes how we live. Now, are you going to struggle with sin? I'm, I struggle with sin. You guys, I, you, I, I blew by some person on the freeway the other day because um, they were doing 63 miles an hour in the fast lane and the slow lane cleared. I just want to make a public notice. If your car cannot do 70 miles an hour, get in a slow lane. It'll make everybody else's life better. But I blew around them. And as I'm coming around them and I make my left hand turn in there, my adrenaline's going at that point because I was in my Mustang and it did it pretty quick. And all of a sudden, I noticed the little puke's car could do more than 70 because they were driving up my tailpipe. I think they were trying to inspect to see actually what it looked like. But at that very moment, I got angry. I mean, I was frustrated before I went around him. But I, was, I began to get angry, and I'm like, you jerk. You're sitting there in your little pukey car. It was a nice new car. It wasn't a, it wasn't a RAV4. No, sorry. RAV4 was this thing that happened way back, and it's been, everybody's been giving me a hard time. I don't hate RAV4s. The, the point is, I got angry not because I had to pass them. I got angry because that they got angry that I passed. This whole thing happened. Where, where's my heart in that? What, what I'm sharing with you is that I'm, I'm studying this. I know what the text says about knowing the Lord. I know where I'm supposed to be at with my heart in this. And I'm reading the text and I'm praying through the text. And then somebody does something in my life that I don't like. And all of a sudden, my, my heart just takes off. And now I'm fighting this battle that, that I think it's an eternal battle. I think it's a spiritual battle that's happening in my heart. Here, you, we're looking at in Jeremiah, we're looking at King Zedekiah. He sees Nebuchadnezzar coming. He's watching the armies approach. The word of the Lord is being presented to him. This is what you need to do. This is where you need to go. And he watches all of those things happen. And he goes, nope, I'm doing what I want to do. And it causes all, uh, lots of people to lose their lives because of that decision that he made at that moment. And we're, when we think about what it means to reflect the glory of God, and when God asks King, Neb King Zedekiah, is this not what it means to know me? The, the behavior of your grandfather, is this not what it means to know me? You saw the example. You've watched this. Second Peter tells us, I love what Second Peter says, Second Peter chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. 
He says this, therefore, beloved, since we are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul, or brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, and they do as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter's encouraging the church while you're waiting, while you're waiting for the Lord to return, while we're waiting for all of these glorious things to happen, that we're to be found blam, uh, spotless, without spot and uh, without blemish, and at peace. And I love what he says in verse 15, count the patience of the Lord of salvation. What does he mean? Well, if you, if you read back earlier in the text, he actually says that, that God's patient. He's not, he's not neglecting to return, but he's being patient. And he says, don't forget, God lives outside of time, so days is a thousand years to him. So he's not behind schedule. He's right on track, even though in our lives it feels like maybe he is, but he challenges us to be in this condition, without spot or blemish and at peace. And Paul encouraged the same thing. Behavior of the body of believers. There was a word that he used. In verse 14, he says, be diligent to be found. Be diligent in this. There's two, I, I, when I think about being diligent in things, there's two perspectives. There's, there's the perspective of the things that I love to do. How many of you guys have things that you're diligent that you love to do? right? Things you really enjoy. Isn't it amazing how diligent you can be at that? Faithfully going out and practicing and putting your energy and your finances and your resources and, oh man, I'm so diligent at this. And then there's the things that we're supposed to do. Like there's the good things. We, we have things like, I don't know, adult behavior. Get up and go to work. How many of you are diligent at that? It's a different diligent than the diligence of the things we love to do. But many of you are, right? You still have your job, right? Okay. This is the participation part. You guys still have jobs, right? For those of you that are not retired. But the reality is, is that you were diligent in that. You found practices and you made effort for it. Because why? If you didn't, you wouldn't have a job. And you wouldn't be able to pay your bills and you wouldn't be able to do the things that you were required to do. I think when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes we forget that, that there's work in this. It's work to get up in the morning before you have to be at your other things that require diligence in your life and to faithfully engage with the Word of God. It takes work to open up Paul's letters that are sometimes confusing. Peter says there's hard things in what he writes. Did you catch what he said? I love, I love what he does in this. He goes, uh, there are hard things to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. So he's not calling those of us that struggle with what Paul says ignorant and, and unstable. He's saying there's others who take that and they twist it and use it. 
So there's hard things for us to, to, to draw out of Scripture. It requires diligence to study and to grow. And let's just be honest that what the world offers in financial gain, in, in comfort, in, in pleasure, that it looks amazing. Do you know why we go to the fast food restaurants? It's because of their billboard. You drive by Carl's Jr., and what do you see on the board down here in Liberty Lake? You see amazing hamburgers. I mean, the grease glistens off of the hamburger. Thank you. The lettuce actually has drops of water on it. It's so fresh. But when you walk into said Carl's Jr., what do you find? Oh, what happened? The world is really, really good at selling stuff that's not good for us. That's the beauty of it. It's amazing what they do. They have this spectacular offering. And yet God says that if you want to honor me, if you're going to be a child of mine, if the cost is great, I'm in charge. And you're going to have to live a sacrificial life. Yay? It's not what the world's selling. In fact, there's times, you guys, where it's not going to even look good. Because the, the, the weight of the sacrifice, the, the, the requirement for diligence on our part, God allows that to happen. You know, Job, when he's talking about his shoulder falling out and his arm being broken, he's defi- defending all of his righteousness. That was at a time when all of his kids had died. And he lost all of his earthly possessions. And his body was covered with boils. It was not a posture of success that we would look at today's world and go, man, that guy has got it together. And yet it's in that moment, it was in that place and through those things that Job comes away and says, says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And he worships God. Jesus paints this picture for us in Matthew chapter 22, and we're gonna, I'm going to wrap up with that. But the Pharisees are trying to deceive Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the laws, all the law and the prophets. If you go and you look at the Ten Commandments, I have them here in front of me. I didn't give them to you because, well, you guys are smart enough to go look them up if you want. But the first three, he specifically, the first three of the commandments are all about the Lord. It's our relationship with the Lord, and it all points back to God. The, the seven that follow actually reflect the character of God as we focus on other people. So what does it mean for us to know the Lord in today's America, in today's church? What does it look like for the church to know the Lord, to live that way? 
You know, we have a culture that is telling us that right is wrong and, and wrong is right. We have a culture that is one of the great dis- frustrations for you right now is we have a culture where the medical field is screaming. We have to do all of this stuff for safety, to protect people. And yet we're aborting children at massive, massive rates. You had to shut down everything but an abortion clinic. Now, I'm not trying to do a political thing. I'm just saying, let's look at the logical. What's, where's the truth in this? Are we saving life or are we not? I mean, I get it that the world's not going to hold our values, but at some level, you've got to look at that and go, something's out of whack. What does it mean for the church to know the Lord? I think when people see us, they should see a difference. You know, there's a real big movement right now. In fact, we were talking about it with church leaders. What do we do with our online streaming service? Is it okay to keep doing that? Because there's people who are staying at home now who are no longer going to go to church. They're just going to sit at their home. They're calling it pajama church. Yep. It's a, it's a pretty big movement right now. I've talked to people in our own community that have said, man, i got to tell you, this is, I'm just not sure if I want to give this up. Sitting at home, in their pajamas, drinking their coffee, watching church on screen. You know, I get it a little bit. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we're not that pleasant to hang out with. If you're not here, it's pretty hard to have conflict with us. But God's design for the church is different than that. He says that our relationship should reflect our love for God and our love for others. How do we do that as a church? How are we doing that in our community? The Lord said to Zedekiah that you are greedy and you are prone to violence. And the way that he was treating other people did not reflect the glory of God. Is that the church today? Is that the church? There are moments where I recognize in my own life that when I'm fully self-focused on myself, I am not reflecting the glory of God. I'm being just as self-focused as Zedekiah because I'm worried about me. driving five miles an hour under the speed limit. Who can do such a thing? You guys, I make light of that. I use that illustration because it's a safe one, right? You all experience that. We all, we all watch that. But none of us are really would really be comfortable with playing the video of our week for all of us to see to catch those moments where we actually caught our heart saying, it's all about me. I don't want you to see my video. I'm, I'm realizing that what Job said in chapter 31 is like, oh, God's watching that. I think the challenge that I've been wrestling with this week is I, I want to be diligent to be found in the Lord, to know him. To, to, to wrestle with the reality of who he, who he is and to spend that time and to make that effort. And I'm working at it. Do you know VBS was the worst week for me? High school camp was awesome. I, Sal and I got up early. We read our Bibles together. It was wonderful. And then VBS happened. And we were up late. And we don't, 
Turns out we don't get up as early when we're up later than normal. Who would have thunk? It was a distraction. It was a good distraction, but it was a distraction to me. And I felt it this morning, and then something happened, and I, I, I wanted to share that with you guys this morning. You know, I went to prayer this morning, and I realized I'm reading the story, and I realized that Zedekiah was going to the Lord because things weren't the way he wanted them to. And I was thinking that to myself. I'm like, I'm not ready for this, Lord. <laughs> i got to preach. And I had a moment where I realized, but I know you. It was just this incredible moment for me as I'm sitting by, I know you. You've shown up faithfully in my life over and over. When I do the work and I have a distracting week, I come before you. You show up. I can trust you with this. And I had a moment of worship in my office this morning where I was praising the Lord because of who he was, because of who he is in my life. And then I got to come and sing with you and extol the name of my Messiah, my King. And it encouraged me. And I went, that's the God that I serve. That is, this is a reality of knowing the Lord. So that's my question for you this week. Do you know him? Is it changing how you speak? Is it changing how you drive? Is it changing how you care for people? Does it change how you speak to your spouse or to your family? The knowledge of God will change those things. The relationship with the Lord will change those things. I wish I could give you the microwave preset number that you could just type it in and hit done. And 30 seconds from now, you'd all be as flawless as me. I don't have it. I haven't figured it out, and I haven't met anybody that has yet. But we do have the joy of watching brothers and sisters who are ahead of us in this church, faithfully following the Lord, faithfully serving God, faithfully dealing with difficult things in their life, physical, family issues. We have the privilege, as Zedekiah did, to look at our brothers and sisters who are ahead of us and say they're following the Lord. I can watch them, I can learn from them, I can engage with them. And in my relationship with the Lord, I can glorify him because I do know him. We do know him if we are his children. And we can rejoice in that this morning. As we close with a song, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you with this. If for some reason at youth camp, we had 150 kids that all have emotional issues and all have... Yeah, you guys can come on. Come on up. I'm gonna, yeah, otherwise I'll, I'll never stop. Um, they, they, all kinds of anxiety. There's a lot more pills being given out for anxiety and, and other issues, depression issues to these kids, to high schoolers. So they're the ones that are worried about peer pressure, right? They're the ones worried about what the people next to them are thinking and all this other stuff. And they brought down the house singing. And they're the ones worried about what other people think. Now, if we do the math, most of us should be past that. Just saying. So I want to encourage you this morning as we sing, I want to ask you to try not to worry about your neighbor. Try not to worry about who you're around or what your traditions are. But I want you to try and focus on who the, the intended audience of this song is. And that's our God and Savior, 
our Lord Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, who was once dead, but he's the ever-living one and alive today. That's who we're singing to this morning. That's who we're invited to know. That's who we worship and we serve. That's who Zedekiah went to for information, and he didn't like it, and he refused it, and, he, and the people are going to suffer the wrath of that. They did, but we're going to see it in the text. So I want to encourage you to abandon whatever the concerns you, are, you have in our service today and to focus on the Lord and to, to sing to Him today, not to anyone else. So you want to stand with us?
May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing we do and say this week. Amen. Have a good week. <laughs>